How many can raise your hand and say, I know what they're talking about? Some of you might not be able to do that, but you can. Oh, such a great salvation the Lord has brought to us. We're in a series called Taking What Belongs to Us. There's a lot of people in this world that take what does not belong to them. We're just talking about taking what God's provided for his children. And we're in the book of Joshua. Today I want to talk about getting prepared for God's provision in Joshua chapter 5. If you want to follow along, read with me. We're going to read the whole chapter, but it's 15 verses. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he had raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was, was, was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to this servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Wow. Sonny's barbecue started in Gainesville in 1968. Sonny Tillman and his wife Lucille. Now they have over 100 Sonny's barbecue restaurants in the southeast. They used to have a slogan that said, 
cook slow, serve fast. Uh, anybody that's been in the restaurant business, I think of Gil and others that's been in restaurants, you know that besides cooking and serving food, there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. You have to get down there early sometimes and cut up the vegetables or put the salads together or roll up the silverware or placemats put out and all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of things you do before, make the desserts and things like that. In a barbecue restaurant, you got to really prepare, especially like out there in Texas. They're cooking brisket. You don't go in there and order a biscuit. He said, okay, I'm going to go cook you a piece because you're going to wait 16, 18 hours before it comes. They have to make it. Most of them cook their briskets 12, 14, 16 hours, and they like to let them rest for four to eight hours. So you're eating something that was cooked ahead of time. They prepared for you. And uh, not all barbecue takes that long, but that's what they do. You have to prepare. Life is about preparing. The Boy Scout motto was be prepared. I remember when there was in a farm supply store, there was a salesman, a chemical salesman. I can't think of his last name. His first name was Sanford. And uh, he had been a salesman up in the Indiana, out in the Midwest, where, some, where they got all that corn and everything. And he says, Wes, there's a number of things I carry around in my car. I never go because of this. I never go anywhere in my car that I don't have three or four blankets in the trunk. Got some snack food to eat on. Some big candles with some matches to light. I said, why do you carry that kind of stuff? He said, because somebody in the Midwest, if you're going a long way, away, you get caught in a blizzard or something, I'm prepared to make it through the night. So I'm going to prepare in case I get stuck on the side of the road somewhere and can't get out. He said, you don't get a second chance at that. He said, so I'd be prepared. Life is about preparation. If you live in Florida, if you've lived here long, you know there's a good chance sometime during the year you've got to prepare for a hurricane. It may not be a direct hit, but you're going to get the effects of a hurricane somewhere because they're going to usually hit Florida at least once or twice a year, or at least once every couple of years, and that's just the way it comes, so be prepared. If you're going to have children, you need to prepare you're going to get married. The wedding only lasts 20, 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. But they prepare for a wedding and marriage for a year usually. The bride does it. The husband just shows up. Uh, <laughs> but you've got to prepare. A lot of preparation. We did a Dave Ramsey course in, uh, this past year in the summer. Danny led us. And they say you ought to have three to six months of reserve or cash, something you can get a hold of, set aside before you ever think about saving money for the future or your retirement or investing. You need to be prepared in case you lose your job or some unexpected thing comes up, emergency fund. In school, you needed to be prepared because every once in a while the teacher said, get out a piece of paper, we're going to have a pop quiz. And if you're one that didn't do your homework all the time, you're going to be unprepared. I heard this, this was on... Uh, Charlie Kirk's show, this was Senator Ron Johnson, Senator from Wisconsin. Now, this was several years ago, but he said this. There is 100% certainty that an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, will knock out the power grid sometime. If it does, and it's out for many months, 9 out of 10 of people in this country will die. Most of them can't handle it. Most of them are sickly. Uh, people, there'll be people stealing, robbing, killing, whatever they got to do to survive. 
it'd be a terrible thing. Most people aren't prepared for that. There's a lot of people that prep because they're preparing for things that are going to be coming. Um, some people don't like to prepare for anything. When I go on a vacation, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going to stay. I know where I'm going to eat most of the time. Now, some people, they like to, they're different than me. They, they like to fly by the seat of the pants. They like to just, we'll just get up in the morning. We'll start driving when we feel like it. We'll stop. We don't have no time. We don't, we don't know where we're going. We'll just go somewhere. I don't do that. I'm going to have to be prepared. Now, I don't always work out like I prepare, but that's just the way it is. We're talking about preparation. Here's some of my favorite quotes on being prepared or unprepared. I like this one here. A committee is a group of the unprepared appointed by the unwilling to do the unnecessary. Uh, failure knocks at the door of the unprepared very often. Billy Graham's quote, no one's prepared to live unless they're first prepared to die. Uh, we're going to be talking about preparation in chapter 5 of the book of Joshua. Joshua's gotten them, got them across the Jordan River, and now they're fixing it. Before they go in there and fight their first battle, God's got to do some work on them. So let's look at it. Today, let's talk about renewing the covenant, and they're in the promised land. Last week, we looked at the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. As soon as the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God was, stepped in the Jordan River, the waters parted and stood up in heaps. I don't know if it was a, a mile wide, a few hundred yards wide, or 20 miles wide. People speculate. But about 2 million people crossed over on dry land. And now that they've crossed over the Jordan, they are in the promised land. They're in Canaan now. Now, a lot of people, that's all they care about. You know, there's a lot of people that, that claim to be Christians. All I care about, they'll say, is I just want to go to heaven. I don't care about walking with Jesus. I don't care about hearing his voice. I don't care about seeing him operate. I don't care about knowing his will. I don't care about having an intimate relationship with him. I don't care about, I just want to get in the promised land being heaven in their mind. Well, that's not what God's called us to do. Uh, God's called us to do greater things than that, and he's got things he wants us to do. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have any enemies to fight? Wouldn't it be nice if we, did, we could just come to church and worship the Lord and not have to go out there and face trial, tribulation, test, trouble, and everything else? Wouldn't it be nice if we just could call on the name of the Lord and praise him and not have to intercede for the lost? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just feast and not ever have to fast? Wouldn't it be nice if people would just serve us and we didn't have to serve others? Wouldn't it be nice in this Christian life if Lost people would come knocking on our doors and say, what do I need to do to be saved? And we didn't have to go out there and try to get them. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just sit on the premises instead of stand on the promises? Yeah, boy, that'd be nice. we just get in the, just cross the river and settle down right there. Don't worry about anything else. That's what a lot of people would like to do. But they're going to have to go fight now. God says, I've got it for you. It's yours, but you're going to have to fight for it now. Or the enemy will steal everything that I've provided to you, and he'll take it from you. My uh, son-in-law, Adam, he's now been sent overseas again for another deployment. But every time they've moved to a different station, we've tried to go visit them sometime. And we went to Savannah. We went to New York City. We went out to Leavenworth, other side of Cam Kansas City. And we just came back from Clarksville last year. And uh, even though my son-in-law is overseas right now, 
when he's home. I never said nothing, but I was thinking it. When he was home and we would be there, he would get up at like 5.30 in the morning to go to the Army base. And he'd come home about 7, 7.30 at night. And all I could say, I didn't say anything. I said, what are y'all doing all day? Are y'all shooting at each other or, or what? We ain't got a war going on. He said, we're prepared for when one does come. We got to prepare. So you got to prepare ahead of time. Well, chapter 5, God's going to give them 10 days to prepare before they go to Jericho. And even when they get at Jericho, they're going to be six days before the walls as they march around and everything. But he's getting them prepared. There's a number of things he's going to do in their life for the next 10 days. And uh, he's got to break them down before he breaks down those walls of Jericho. So let's see what he's going to do. And let's look at it. Verse 1. Let's look at what verse 1. And so it was, listen to this, when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of Jordan, on the side they're on now, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, I'm assuming that's the Mediterranean Sea, it could be the Dead Sea down there, but heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. They've only been there a little bit and everybody knows they're over there now. Or the kings, of the Amorites and the Canaanites know. Now, Israel's not a big country today. That's not the same land that God gave them. He gave them a little bit more of what they got now. But right now, they're about 290 miles long, about 85 miles wide. But they've crossed over this river, two million of them, just on the other side of the river, and the news has gotten out quickly, quickly. And I'm going to tell you something most of you don't realize, maybe, or don't think about. God does not care that the enemy knows what he's fixing to do. God's not slipping around and saying, let's see if we can trick him because we don't want him to be ready. He does not care. He'll go ahead and tell the enemy and see if he can stop him, and he can't stop him anyway. Let me, let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about here. Genesis 3, 14 and 15, right after the serpent deceived Adam and Eve and they fell and they sinned, God came up looking for the serpent and put him on notice and said this, the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He'll bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. He said, I'm just going to let you know that's what's, that's what's going to happen to you. He didn't try to uh, slip around or anything like that. Well, the enemy... Satan has been trying to stop the work of God all this time. He read prophecies. He heard them prophesy that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to come through the tribe of Judah and all these other prophecies. That's why I like prophecies. God gives us the news before it happens, and the devil can't stop it. The news media can't report something right after it happens. God can give us the details before it happens. But he said that's what's going to happen. So... The enemy stirred the heart of a man named Herod who felt challenged by a new king coming on the scene and he wiped out all the little boys two years and under around Bethlehem and God had already slipped Jesus and his family into Egypt, always one step ahead of him. John the Baptist is at the Jordan River baptizing people and he looks up and said, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
Eventually, he baptized Jesus, and everybody knew. He introduced who he was. Jesus was driven immediately into the wilderness, and Satan was waiting on him. This time, he said, I'll cut you a deal. And he gave him three deals, and Jesus said, get lost. It is written. And he went away for a little bit. He stirred up the crowd against him for three years while he was... They stirred up the crowd more than the media stirred up over Donald Trump. It's really funny. It was just, just every day it was something. And they were stirring up the people. Sometimes they'd try to push him off a cliff, and he'd just slip right through the crowd. He couldn't stop him. Jesus even said this later in his ministry. He said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the scribes, the Pharisees. I'm going to be killed, but I'll rise the third day. The enemy heard that too. He said, I can stop him now. And he filled the heart of a man named Judas Iscariot. He turned him in for a little bit of money. He ran him through six trials, kangaroo court of all kangaroo courts. They beat him, hung him on a cross, and Satan thought he had him. But he was bruising his head with Jesus' heel. Exactly what God had said it would do. Satan realizes it finally, and he looks and he says, man, I heard him say he's going to come out in three days, so he made sure the people of Rome and the leaders and the religious leaders put a stone in front of that grave. He said he's going to come out in three days. Let's stop it up. And he came out in three days, just like he said he was. Even though the power of Rome was behind that seal, the power of God was in that tomb. And he couldn't stop him. So he said, all right, well, I'm going to stop this church. The fire of Pentecost, I'm going to stop it. And he began to persecute the church. And the more he tried to stamp out the flames of Pentecost, the more the church grew. So he finally said, well, I can't do it that way. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the church compromise. I'll make the flame go out. And the church went through many centuries of rituals and compromise and uh, worshiping statues and things like that and all this kind of stuff. The Dark Ages. It looked like the flame Satan had finally won. But a man named Martin Luther in the 1500s said, the just shall live by faith, and the flame flickered a little bit, and then all of a sudden we come through times where they begin to send the gospel around the world. Great awakenings begin to take place. The Holy Ghost was poured out in many ways in the latter days, so Satan was losing again. But he said, I heard Jesus say when he was leaving, he said, I will come again. So he's going to be ready for him. And the Bible says he's going to incarnate a man. We'll call him the Antichrist. And all the armies of the world is going to come together to finally stop him, try to whip God at his own plan. And they'll gather all the armies together, and Jesus won't keep them waiting. But he'll come, and he'll defeat all of them and throw him in the jail for another thousand years. You cannot stop the plan of God. He doesn't care if the enemy knows what he's fixing to do. He was born on time. He, he lived on time. He died on time. He rose on time. And he'll come back on time. Our God's really in control. Don't believe that God and Satan are two equal foes. So whenever the, the enemy knows that they're over there now, they're, they're concerned because they see what's coming to them. But it doesn't bother God. He lets them know what's coming to them. Now, a lot of people say, woe is me, the devil's after me. You've got to get that thought out of your head. Get after him some. Uh, he'll, he'll accuse you. Somebody said this, if he reminds you of your past, that's okay. Remind him of his future. <laughs> if he tries to 
stop you with intimidation, you stop him with determination. Stand your ground. Stand on God's word. That's what we've been called to do. Uh, he can't even scare us with death because when when, if they kill us, we're going into the arms of Jesus. So anyway, don't worry about the enemy knowing what's going on. God's already a step ahead of him. Here's, the, here's what they begin to do in this chapter. They begin to reinstitute their covenant. Let's read verses 2 through 8. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. And all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons and whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Boy, he sure makes a point of circumcising there. <laughs> so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. That took a few days to heal up from that. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Okay, so God reinstituted circumcision i'll talk about that in just a second what is circumcision you want to go back to when god first did this you go back to the book of genesis chapter 17 verse 9 through 14 this is where circumcision started with god and his people god said to abram abraham as for you you shall keep my covenant this is a covenant now you and your descendants after you throughout their generations this is my covenant with you which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or brought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. It was a covenant God made with the Jewish people uh, through Abraham. It was a sign of that covenant. Now, in verse 2 of this text, it said they're going to be circumcised again. If you don't read everything, you'll say, how do you get circumcised twice? But if you read verse 5, it says he's talking about they quit circumcising the kids during the wilderness wandering. He's going, to, he's going 40 years of wandering. That little generation that was refused to go in the promised land, they're going to die off. But they didn't circumcise the kids growing up. So now they're circum circumcising men that's up to 40 years old with a piece of rock. 
Woo, man. Anyway, uh, I won't go into that. But man, that takes a lot of faith, I'll tell you that. Uh, I will say this. What it is, they're renewing their covenant with God. They've been walking in disobedience for the last 40 years. And now a new generation is ready to go into the promised land. He said, let's reconsecrate, renew this covenant that we had uh, after these last 40 years of disobedience. Let me say this. Consecrating yourself to the Lord is a very big thing if you're going to fight the battles that, and have what God wants you to have. Now, we don't talk a lot about consecration anymore, about holiness, uh, about being set apart, but that is a very big thing in the eyes of God. You can't walk in the spirit and constantly just live in the flesh you can't just love the world and say that you love the lord you can't do that you can't serve god and mammon we've gotten away from holiness now i know holiness could have been abused at times some people could get legalistic and things like that and just look on the external and not look at the heart and all this i know that but there's still a fact holiness is a big thing to god walking in a separated life christians today we're not supposed to live like the world we don't look like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't live like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't think like the world. We're different. That's what it means to be a child of God. God changes our heart and changes our mind. Uh, A.W. Tozer read a, wrote a book. It's a little book, very thin, about a quarter of a half inch wide. It's called That Incredible Christian. And part of the first chapter, he says this, some things about Christians. Christians are people that walk on earth, but they're seated in heaven. Because this world really not our home. We lose our life in order to save it. And if we try to save it, we're going to lose it. We're the strongest when we really realize we're the weakest. And we're the most sinless when we're the most conscious of sin in our life. We love somebody we've never seen. And we're the wisest when we realize we don't know it all. In God's presence, we feel overwhelmed. But there's no place we'd rather be than in God's presence. These men were going to get circumcised again, and they're going to be out of commission, verse 8 said, to heal up. Good thing the enemy didn't attack at that time, but they were all out of commission. Okay, second thing. He said, you need to release your past failures. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. He's rolling away the reproach of Egypt. What is that? It's probably a couple of things. They've been carrying this reproach and shame of Egypt for the last 40 years. Remember after God delivered them through Moses, every time they run up against a hardship, they'd say, I'd rather you left us in Egypt. Remember that? I wish we were back in Egypt where we were slaves, better than coming out here and dying in this desert or whatever. They were constantly saying, I'd just soon go back to Egypt. It was a shame, really a shame, all that God had done for them. Another thing that could be the reproach of Egypt could be when they got finally, after all God did to bring them out of this bondage, they come to the place where he's going to give them their land and their inheritance, and they were afraid to go in there. There's two times God said, I'm going to kill y'all. One time was when they were making the golden calf. Moses up there getting the Ten Commandments, and they're down there making another idol. Well, they don't know if, God's, if Moses is coming back. And Moses was ready to kill them then. Not Moses, God. Moses interceded for them. 
The second time God said, I'm ready to kill them again and start over was when they got to the river the first time and they were scared to go in and the ten spies told them it was too bad and, and they, they wouldn't do it. They didn't have the faith to go in. And that's in Numbers 14, 11 through 14. Let's read that. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed, he showed them sign after sign after sign. still didn't matter. I'll strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. I'll get rid of these people. And I'll make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then, then the Egyptians are going to hear about it for your might. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they'll tell it to the inhabitants of this land, that they have heard that you, the Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He said, don't wipe them out. You're gonna make, it's going to make everybody look at you wrong. But anyway, there was two times God had enough. They had a reproach or a shame on them because they did not want to leave their bondage when God was getting them out, and they didn't want to go into what God provided for them. So God's come and said, okay, I'm fixing to remove the shame. They've been, they needed to be ashamed. We need to be ashamed if we're not going to take advantage of what the Lord's trying to do for us and what he's done for us. But he says, time to put that behind you. I'm going to remove that reproach and that shame. Aren't you glad God can put things behind you? Things that we don't have to carry around anymore, our shame and our sins and all this kind of stuff. So let the shame fall off. Here's the next thing he says, getting them prepared before they're going to go into battle. Remember, they're told to remember his goodness. Look at verse 10 through 12. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Okay, he reinstituted the Passover. They hadn't done the Passover celebration in 40 years either, just like circumcision. Remember the story of the Passover after the nine plagues that God tried to get uh, Pharaoh to let the people go. He would change his mind, then he would go back at the last minute and wouldn't let them go. The last one was the death of the firstborn, animals and of the, of the family members. If you didn't have the blood applied to your door, the doorpost and the lentils, when the death angel showed up, you'd lose your firstborn. And that's what took place. That's why they instituted the Passover. The death angel would pass over those homes that had the blood applied. And they, would, they were supposed to every year celebrate the Passover to remind them how God had been good to them. He had spared them. He had saved them and rescued them. And they hadn't been doing that for the last 40 years because it's hard to celebrate God's deliverance when you're walking in disobedience. They weren't in no position to celebrate what God had done because they'd been walking completely in disobedience to them. So that's what the Passover was. He's done instituted circumcision again and the Passover. Folks, do you know how good God is? You might not have been a good parent, but God's a good God. You might not have had a good boss at your job, but God's a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above the Father of lights. Jesus said one time, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and your, your people are evil, can you imagine how much God wants to give? Give the Holy Ghost and give good things to his people. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He reinstituted the Passover. And here's something else that took place. 
all of a sudden the manna stopped. Now these people have been eating manna for 40 natural years. 40 years for breakfast, lunch, and supper. If you get up in the middle of the night for a midnight snack, you're going to go get you some manna. It's terrible. They made manna every way a person could possibly make manna. Manna pudding, <laughs> manna cotti, manaroni and cheese, every way you can think, they were making manna. Now, we just come through this fast here uh, the last uh, few weeks. Now, they say oxygen, you, you can only go three or four minutes without oxygen. You can go several days without water, and then you can maybe go 40, 50 days without food or whatever. Me, food right under oxygen. I need it, uh, I need it a lot. I sometimes panic when I don't see anything in the, in the house to eat or whatever. I'm like the old boy that ordered a pizza. He was starving for a pizza. He ordered a pizza, and the pizza man delivered the pizza to him. He, he tipped him, sent him on his way, and opened it up and freaked out because he, he tried to get the guy to come back, and he'd, he'd already left, and he called the pizza place. He said, this man just brought my pizza, and you didn't put no toppings on it. He said, oh, oh, wait a minute, my bad. I had it upside down. Anyway, that's I, I, me. I, I panic when I mean, it looks like I'm going to be able to get something. Uh, it's really terrible. I can't imagine eating the same thing for 40 years. Every meal. One, thing, one of the blessings of America, they say now, good-sized uh, grocery stores, you have over 30,000 varieties or items you can choose from. Can you imagine that, how blessed we are? Heard two boys talk, two old men talking at the job one day. One said to the other, and he said, well, I took my wife out to eat last night. He said, oh, really? What's the occasion? He said, it was our 25th wedding anniversary. Oh, man, well, that's special. That ought to have been a special meal. He said, it was. He said, he said we went to a place where they prepare the food right in front of you. The other guy said, wow, I've heard of them fancy restaurants like that. What was the name of it? He said, Subway. Anyway, uh, a, a lot of t when he talks about food, it's not always a good thing. But anyway, I, I do love food. What God's saying to these people, I'm tired of feeding y'all. Y'all get your own food. I got plenty of variety here in the promised land. I'm not feeding y'all any more manna. I've sustained you all these years. That was part of my discipline, really, but you get your own food. So the manna stopped. He reinstituted circumcision. He rolled away their reproach of Egypt. They reinstituted the Passover, which reminded them of God's goodness. And God said, okay, I'm not providing any more food. You go, I provided. You go get it yourself. And then there's one more thing they're going to have to do before they're ready to get ready to go fight. You've got to realize the Lord's presence. Look at verse 13 through 15. Came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does the Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay. The very first chapter, first verse of the book of Joshua, 
it said, after the death of Moses. Verse 5 of the first chapter, he says, As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I've already told you, he's, to, he's already spoken to Joshua, you're the next man up, you're the leader now. I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. Because you remember Moses, I told you last week in Exodus 33, he told God, he said, if you don't go, if you're not going before us, we're not going. So he's, ha he's having to reiterate this to Joshua. It reminds me of the old boy that told his wife, he said, honey, I love you. If you ever leave me, I'm going with you. So uh, that's, what, that's what Joshua's saying. I'm going wherever you're, we're going. And he's having to reiterate that to him and let him know. Now, God's appeared, the Lord's appeared a lot of different ways in the Old Testament. It was the Lord with two angels by his side that showed up to Abraham out in the desert just before they, he told him, he said, I'm going to go destroy Sodom. Go ahead and let you know that. And that's when Abraham tried to bargain with him and get him not to destroy it. God showed up in the wilderness another time as a wrestler. You remember that with Jacob. God showed up three boys in the Hebrew fiery in the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord showed up in the furnace with them and said, Boys, I just come here to warm by the fire with y'all. And now he's going to show up to a general, the head man of the army. And that head man of the army, General Joshua, is going to realize there's somebody a lot higher rank than he is. It's the commander of the Lord's army. And he draws his sword, and Joshua says what he always says. Are you one of us or one of them? Are you a friend or are you a foe? You on our side or you on their side? Joshua always did that. He always narrows things down to either or. And really, that's the way life is. You're either saved, you're lost. You're either going to heaven, you're going to hell. You're either one of the sheep, you're one of the goats. You're either walking in the light or you're in darkness. I mean, it's, it's really, that's, it's just that simple if you want to look at it. Uh, Joshua discovered that this was the Lord. And he fell down on his face and worshipped him. I always get amused. I've heard songs and about what we're going to do when we see Jesus shake his hand, do all this and that. I guarantee you, when you see Jesus, you're going to fall on your face and tremble. Amen. Tremble. And there's nothing wrong with the fear of the God. We need the fear of God. Amen. We got all eternity to stand and praise him, but I guarantee you when you see him, it's going to be overwhelming. John, the revelator on the Isle of Patmos, he was the one that used to lay on Jesus' breast. Good friends with Jesus. He loved him. But when he saw him, he felt like a dead man in the ground. That's what, that's what Joshua did. He fell down like, like a dead man. Now, he needed to realize, I'm going to be the one leading y'all. You're the, you're the man in charge, but you just follow me. I'm the real leader. So here's what he's done. He's renewed the covenant of circumcision with them, starting over. He's told them to turn loose the reproach that was hanging over your head, your guilt, your shame, and everything you've been carrying. Removed it, taken it off of you. Going to reinstitute the Passover, which reminds you how good I've been and what I've delivered of you from in the past. I'm going to stop the manna and let you know now it's time for you to get up and get some responsibility on your own. I'll provide for you. Now you're going to have to walk by faith. And then he reminded them, I'm the captain of this army. 
you're going to go, and I'm going to fight your battles with you and for you. That's what they needed. They needed that in their heart before they're going to go and face Jericho. I always remember, I'm going to wind this down. Boy called his mom. You've heard told this before. Called his mom, said, Mom, I got some bad news. What is it, son? I'm getting kicked out of college. She said, Why? He said, I know daddy's paid a lot of money to send me here, and I, I'm sorry, but I chased girls, mama. I'm sorry. I partied. I didn't study. I, I played around. I just didn't take it serious. Now I'm getting kicked out. I'm just calling you to let you know I'm coming home Friday. I want you to prepare daddy for me coming home. <laughs> she said, all right. Well, he called her Friday morning before he left to come home. He said, I just want to let you know, mama, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you prepare daddy for me coming home? She said, your dad's prepared for you, but you better get prepared for your dad. Uh, and that's really the way it is. Uh, are you prepared for what God wants to do for you? Are you consecrated? Have you let go of your past? Are you reminded of how good he is? Are you ready to walk by faith? And are you ready to let him help fight your battles for you? Amy Carmichael said this, we have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but just a few hours to win them. I'll close with this, October the 18th, 2011, a man named Terry Thompson lived in a place called Zanesville, Ohio. He was not a real stable man. He had 73 acres of farmland. He had battled with the city and the county and different things because he raised exotic animals. Anyway, Terry Thompson killed himself, committed suicide. But he planned it all out. Before he did, he turned all his animals loose into the community, surrounding area. And, the, and the, when the police and everybody found out about it, they, they put out bulletins Get your pets inside. Don't let your children be outside. Don't be jogging at night. Stay inside. We're not even going to tranquilize. When it gets dark, who knows what could happen. We're, if we're going to shoot to kill, we're going to do what he has to do. To get, there was 50 animals he had turned loose. And here's the animals he turned loose. One baboon, two wolves, two grizzlies, three cougars, six black bears, 17 lions and 18 Bengal tigers running loose in that community. And I'm going to tell you this. They finally took all those animals out, but it could have been terrible and very dangerous. We're in a battle too. We got a roaring lion that's turned loose. But we're not going to hide behind the door we're going to put on the armor of God. We're going to consecrate ourselves. We're not going to be bound by our past anymore. We're going to know we've got a good God that's provided for us and goes before us to face the line we're going to face. And we're going to face him. There's no way around it. You're going to face it. But thank God. He said, I didn't just provide this for you. I'm going to help you get it if you'll go with me. Go with me. I want you to stand with me.
we're looking at things that God's provided for his children. If we don't take advantage of it, it'll be stolen from us. And we'll look weak and anemic and get very little accomplished in our life. I'm going to do something a little different today. I want everybody to bow your heads. Who knows what tomorrow holds? Who knows what the rest of the day holds? Let me ask you this, just to raise your hand. How many here say, i got a serious battle going on right now in my life? Just raise your hand. Not just a little simple one. There's several hands up. Well, we're going to be fighting from here on out. But it's a good fight. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. But you've got to let the Lord lead you in the battles. Let me ask you to do this. If you raised your hand, you recognize that you're in a battle spiritual battle, physical battle, financial battle, it doesn't matter what it is. One of the first things you can do is take a step of faith and just come down here and let's pray. So I'm going to ask you if you raised your hand to just come and stand down front. We're not prying any. We all got battles. If you ain't in one now, it's coming. Or you maybe just got out of one. There's more coming. battles battles we're in enemy territory he come to kill steal and destroy now Christians that might not be in a battle right now would you come behind them and let's just lay hands on them here today and let's just pray for our family here I tell you what I want somebody praying for me when I go through mine and I go through them too I am no different just let one another know we see you. We don't have to know all the details, but we're with you. We're with you. We're with you. Let's pray for one another. Heavenly Father, you see, we got to prepare ourselves because there's a great fight. main thing we can do is put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God. And God, I pray for that. May we consecrate ourselves. May we release any bondages, anything that's held us back, kept us in our comfort zone. God, may we once again be reminded how good you've been to us in the past, what you've re redeemed us from. And may we be reminded that what you've provided for us, you've got provided for us in the future too, much more than what we've ever partaken of. And God, may we look to you, the captain of the army of the Lord, to help us fight our battles. God, I pray for everyone that's going through some tremendous struggles right now. Some are hurting. Some are struggling. Some don't know what the outcome could be. But I pray that you'd give them a peace and assurance and renew their faith, renew their walk with you. We still walk by faith and not by sight. Help us, God. Help the church be the church. And we pray for everyone here in the midst of their battle. May they lift up their voice in praise. 
in the midst of their tears, may they lift up their voice in praise and just trust you. We're coming out the other side. You've promised us. You've promised us, Lord. We may be bruised and battered at times, but we're coming out. We're coming out in Jesus' name. I pray, God, for everyone here. May they leave here with the reassurance the captain of the Lord's army is on our side. We will not. We will not bow down. We're fighting a foe that is no match for our Heavenly Father, for our elder brother. We're resting in that. We believe that. We receive that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Fight the good fight. It's a fight, but it's a good fight. God bless you. Come back tonight for baptism and praise and Hong and Esther.